Hey, you're listening to the audio version of Well Read with Justin Chapman. If you'd like to watch the video version, please go to youtube.com backslash C backslash Justin Chapman 15 or just search for Well Read with Justin Chapman in the YouTube search bar. Learn more at justindouglaschapman.com. Enjoy the show. Hi there. Welcome to Well Read with Justin Chapman. Thanks for being here. Well, this was supposed to be a hot back summer. We were supposed to be living it up in a reopened society. Instead, we're struggling to fight the Delta variant of COVID, which is much more contagious than the original strain. Mass mandates are back. Required vaccination policies are springing up everywhere. Companies are delaying their return to the office plans. Like, oh, maybe it was too early. Well, yeah, I could have told you that, you goober. Hospitalizations are surging again, up to the same level they were last summer. The vast majority of new cases are in unvaccinated people. People have to keep in mind that while you should still be careful if you're vaccinated, you're at far lower risk than if you're unvaccinated. Florida is setting new COVID hospitalization records. Remember Florida? Remember Ron DeSantis supposedly did better at the pandemic than Gavin Newsom without having to implement as many harsh restrictions and lockdowns? So much for that. The only tools we have for this are masks, social distancing, and vaccinations. This pandemic is surging again because those people who selfishly refuse to get vaccinated. It's not entirely their fault. Those people are being misled by conservative media. What is right-wing media's endgame in trying to convince their audience not to get vaccinated? They're essentially just gonna kill off a bunch of their viewers and voters. Trump and his lackeys are trying to claim credit for fast-tracking the vaccine and also convince his base that the vaccine is a bunch of liberal bullshit. You can't have both of those things at the same time. On a related topic, it is truly frightening to see Tucker Carlson broadcasting from Hungary recently and interviewing its authoritarian leader, Viktor Orban. One banner on Carlson's show said, Viktor Orban believes in families and borders. At another point, he said, Orban's wall works. In reality, Orban has laid out a blueprint for how to slowly dismantle a democracy. Carlson is sending a clear signal that Orban's brand of maintaining power at all costs is what the Republican Party should do in the U.S. Trump was just the beginning. He emboldened the right, and they're going to rig the system in, in such a way through gerrymandering and voter restrictions to get and hold on to power, even though demographically the Republican Party is in the minority and increasingly so. The left and the non-right need to go on the offensive. Call out creeping crypto fascism when we see it. And it's going to take different factions of people working together, forming coalitions. Just like there's not a racist who's mad at a racist light, like, hmm, this guy's not racist enough. People on the left have to stop getting mad at each other. Enough friendly fire. We're self-dividing so the right can conquer. We need to focus on combating mis- and disinformation, not taking shots at allies for not being enough of a purist. Okay, let's move on to some things that are more fun. UFOs and cartoons. UFOs are now openly discussed by the US government, though they call them UAPs or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. 
they've admitted they don't have an explanation for a number of sightings of UAPs slash UFOs. They released a very vague report in June, but this will be something to keep an eye on moving forward. They know more than they're letting on. Also, the creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, signed a $900 million deal recently for six more seasons of the cartoon on Comedy Central and 14 South Park-related movies on Paramount+. And they continue to own 50% of the show's online streaming revenues. They are now essentially billionaires, and they did it on their terms. It's just astounding. Fun fact, I played Trey Parker as a kid in the movie Basketball in the late 90s. Matt and Trey made this unique South Park cell for me, showing Stan, Kyle, Cartman, and Kenny lounging poolside in front of the Hollywood sign. Pretty rad. Let's take a look now at snapshots of international, national, and California news. In international news, the world is seemingly increasingly unstable. The Taliban is slowly taking over Afghanistan. A Chinese invasion of Taiwan at, at some point seems increasingly likely. Russia massed troops on Ukraine's border. Yemen continues to be an unthinkable humanitarian crisis. The Myanmar military has taken over by force again. Haiti's president was assassinated. Israel and Hamas erupted in conflict again. Colombian and Cuban security forces have cracked down on protesters. Lebanon is in an economic down spiral. Ethiopia is in the middle of a civil war. There were riots in South Africa because its former president was imprisoned. India just went through COVID hell and border tensions with China and Pakistan are high. In national news, we're inching closer and closer to an infrastructure bill. Well, two, actually. If the first, roughly $1 trillion bipartisan bill, which covers physical infrastructure like roads, bridges, et cetera, passes in the coming weeks, Democrats say they'll move swiftly on the second $3.5 trillion bill, which focuses on human infrastructure, childcare, education, healthcare, climate action, and the like. But that's only if all 50 Democrats in the Senate and the razor-thin majority of Democrats in the House stick together, which is, is not a certainty. There are already signs of defections, but you never know until it's over. I personally love watching the technical details of these bill negotiations playing out. The wheeling and dealing and posturing that's, that's going on, maybe it's not for everyone, but if you're paying attention, it's actually pretty fascinating to watch. Will these bills get passed? They have momentum right now, but momentum is a funny, fickle thing. So I always try to stay realistic and then be surprised when things do work out. In California news, the drought is back and it's worse than ever. If you live in California, do your part to reduce your water use. It's only gonna get worse before, if it gets any better. Let's patch in our guest, a good friend of mine, originally from Washington DC named Hawa. Hawa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to be here. It's good to see you, Justin, after so many years. You too, yeah. So Hawa is an artist, author, spoken word poet, educator, yoga instructor, community organizer, and nonprofit leader. He has dedicated his life to teaching about solutions to violence and ways to peace, and has traveled to over 42 countries to facilitate interactive workshops, host dialogues, perform poetry, teach yoga, and speak with those interested in creating a caring, sustainable, and equitable world. I met Hawa in 2003 at a People-to-People -People Conflict Resolution Summit in Colorado. He was my group instructor, and we connected immediately. I remember he was teaching us uh, that, that money is actually meaningless, and, and he asked me for a $20 bill, which I handed to him, and he proceeded to rip it in half. 
And I didn't flinch, but shrugged and said, it's, it's just paper. And he knew then that, that we were speaking the same language. And in the years that followed, I visited him in DC a number of times, uh, attended a restorative yoga retreat he hosted in West Virginia, and traveled with him up the East Coast to rural Massachusetts, uh, where we did a, a 10-day silent meditation retreat called Vipassana. Also of note, in 2006, Hawa helped to direct an arts-based interfaith peace and conflict resolution project to India, Kashmir, Pakistan. He is the prolific author of such books as Trails, Trust Before Suspicion, Escape Extinction, Zero Oneness, and The Poetry of Yoga. Hawa recently announced that he is stepping down as executive director of the organization he founded in 2000, One Common Unity a nonprofit that breaks cycles of violence and builds a nonviolent culture and compassionate, healthy communities through the transformative power of music, arts, and peace education. So Hawa, why don't you start off by, by telling us what is One Common Unity and, and what inspired you to create it originally? Sure. Um, it's a, <laughs> the story about the dollar bill or the $20 bill, Justin, you're going to get me in trouble over here for my, for my teaching methods. Um, sometimes, you know, we invest a lot in education and $20 can, can go a long way in teaching a lifetime lesson. There's a quote that I love, uh, a Cree prophecy that, that says, um, that says after the last tree has been cut down, after the last river has been poisoned, after the last fish has been caught, only then will we realize that money cannot be eaten. And I think about I remember that day in 2003. I mean, that was a long time ago, but if I remember correctly, I might have even given each of you a piece of the paper and asked you to eat it um, if you were so inclined and, and to see how that sustained you. Uh, but it was definitely like meant to be a deeper life lesson around like where do we where do we put our values? Mm-hmm. What, what what do we value? And, and you were you all were young. You were in high school, so it was really meant to be a twenty dollar lesson in the Cree prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really deep question, existential question around uh, meaning and our search for meaning and our quest for happiness and whether it's money that makes us happy or, or if it's, if it's the relationships and the people in our lives. Um, it is true. I, I started the nonprofit organization back in the year 2000. We uh, work at the intersection of preventing violence through arts. Uh, We do very innovative work around restorative justice and transformative justice. And we're also doing a lot with mental health and providing mental health services to youth and families in Washington, D.C. Right now we're in 24 schools with in-school and after-school programming. Uh, it's, It's a beautiful thing to see how much we've grown over the past two decades. And we now have about 30 full-time staff and a long list of part-time employees and a great board of directors. Uh, it's, it's a joy to see where we've come and also where we've been. We began as a response to gun violence. Uh, just really, just really devastating gun violence that was was plaguing the neighborhoods and continues to, in fact, you know, the the rate of homicide and gun violence today in some of our urban centers is as high as it was 20 years ago. Um, And in these ways, sometimes I do feel like, uh, you know, like I haven't done enough and that our work has not been as successful as I would like it to be. We work on protective factors. So, you know, our work has never been about like, trying to get guns off the streets necessarily. It's been more about teaching the social emotional 
skills, uh, the anger management, the, the stress reduction, the work around healthy mind and healthy body so that people can make right choices and people can honor one another. People can learn skills of communication. And the work has always embodied this proactive approach to building healthy, caring, kind communities. Uh, you know, mindfulness is a big part of what we also engage in our work with youth and families. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. And it's also a good pivot time for me in my life uh, after 20 years of service and really working deep in the trenches of, of, uh, of the movement. Yeah. Tell me, tell me more about that decision, uh, why you're leaving now and, and what's next for you. Sure. I mean, you know, for those that are watching, and listening, we, we all come to inflection points in our lives. And life is about cycles. And for me, what brought me into this work was teaching. Uh, I'm a teacher. And as you, when you're reading my bio, I'm an author. I'm a filmmaker. I've spent most of my life as a, as a creative entrepreneur engaging in culture-shifting work. And as the organization has grown, what it's required of me as a CEO and as an executive director, what that's required of me on a day-to-day -day basis is it's very different than where my superpowers lie. Uh, you know, um, it's one thing when we were a small and scrappy nonprofit and I was still teaching and I was still like in the streets doing the work that, that I love. And it's another one we become so big that most of my days are, are filled with uh, development and institution building and fundraising and uh, systems, HR, operations, you know, all the things that are required for the management of a, of a fast growing business or nonprofit organization. And quite honestly, um, you know, I want to get back to what brought me into this work to begin with. And that, uh, you know, that, that, that's the decision and the reason I, I, I'm very clear that, that, um, that it's time for me to return back to teaching and facilitating and writing a new book. Um, and so, and I'm excited to hand over the baton, you know, these things are opportunities to, to step, to step aside. It creates opportunity for new vision, new leadership, new passion. And so it's, it's an awesome opportunity for the organization uh, to, to continue to incubate and foster and support new leadership. And I, I plan on being there and being a part of it. I'll never leave the organization. It's like, you know, it's like my baby, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kids going to college. But um, it's definitely time, you know, to support from the periphery and, and allow others to take the reins. Tell me about um, some of the programs you're particularly proud of, uh, like Fly By Light, for example. Sure, sure. I mean, so Fly By Light, which you just mentioned, is is, is our award-winning youth development program. Uh, I think what is really special about Fly By Light is when, when I really launched and created Fly By Light in the year 2011, I wanted to synthesize the first decade of the work the organization and, and we had multiple programs happening that were involving youth filmmaking and social justice, uh, conflict resolution, um, 
a lot of great stuff with like poetry and songwriting and how to how to shape community uh, through that through those mediums. But then Fly by Light became an integration of all these best practices. And within Fly by Light, we also included a part of environmental leadership, which involved rites of passage ceremony with with young young youth in DC that have not spent much time out of the inner city. And so we would we 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 continue to even to this day, we have an innovative program that the National National Park Service even named uh, one of America's best ideas. Uh, back about five years ago, but we take we take urban youth into into national parks. We 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 take them for five night, seven night, overnight retreats where they go through deep ceremony with indigenous elders. Uh, they go through through sweat lodge ceremony, rites of passage, a lot of grief and trauma circles. Um, sitting around a bonfire, you know, playing drums and making music, looking up at the stars, swimming in a river, just experiences that. It can be really transformative and life-changing for a young person that's never had that opportunity in their life. And so the way we fuse the environmental nature immersion with our approach to, to holistic child education um, is, I think, what makes Fly by Light really special. And then the young people write poetry and songs and they perf- and then when we come back to the city, we 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 hold we host performances mm. for the broader public where the youth are showcased on big stages, and we produce music videos and vignettes and documentaries. So we have like short films uh, and and music videos and and, and incredible um, ways that we broadcast youth voices out into the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so if people want to help contribute to One Common Unity, I believe you guys have a big fundraising event coming up in October, right? You're exactly right. We do. We're, we're celebrating 21 years. Uh, it's our 21st birthday party, and we're doing an event called Closing the Gap. Uh, the majority of our youth identify as, as, as people of color and BIPOC youth. Uh, and so... Closing the gap in equity, closing the gap in racial disparity and access to education and resources, um, intergenerational poverty. Uh, So if you want to support us, please go to our website. You can become a sponsor. You can donate. You can become a monthly sustainer and you can help us continue the legacy. Mm -hmm. Great. And, um, you know, I'm I'm also really interested in the... uh, sort of international diplomacy work you do too, like the the, uh, the India-Pakistan trip in 2006, uh, for example. I mean, it seems like these days, not just there, but everywhere, I mean, relationships are breaking down between people, communities, countries, things are becoming more uh, violent in, in a lot of ways. And I've always seen you as a, as a very optimistic person. So I'm, I'm curious, what's your take on this, this moment that we're living through? <laughs> It's a good question, Justin. You know, even my optimism sometimes is uh, is is curtailed. Um, it's hard in front of the news headlines. You know, in our twenty-four hour news cycle, you know the way that news media feasts on our fears. Um, there are amazing things happening in the world. There are also a lot of tragic things happening in the world, and my take at this moment is that the world is changing 
as it has been changing and continues to change millennia after millennia after millennia. And really the moment calls for us to come together and in a world that's becoming increasingly polarized because of the fast paced sort of finger twitching social media and just kind of like two sentence bullet points that keep us at very surface level conversations. There is a deep need for dialogue that is rich and containing opportunity for reflection. And I think if we can provide those spaces for dialogue through education, I really think that the sky is the limit for what we can do um, in being stewards. I think stewarding our natural resources for future generations is one of the most important things that we can do at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think that, you know, understanding how we deploy resources and where we invest, whether that's in the in military, industrial complex, or or whether that's in healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, it, there has to be some more global cohesion and global vision for humanity and where humanity's heading. And because there is not at the moment, it does seem, it does seem like a large mountain to climb. But I also really believe in the power of leadership. And and I think when we can have good leadership, um, we can move mountains. And so I I really, you know, I hope anybody that's watching, you don't ever underestimate the power of your voice and the power of what you can do by engaging and participating. Yeah, well said for sure. Um, So you just just completed a 20-day silent meditation retreat. You and I, of course, did a 10-day retreat back in 2007. I know it's an intensely personal experience, but, but tell us what this is and, and, and what this last retreat was like for you. Yeah, no, I, I'm happy to, Justin, and I appreciate this question a lot. Um, I've, I've grounded my life through a very uh, important practice of meditation that keeps me balanced and equanimous. Uh, through the the tough times and the ups and downs. And the 20 day silent retreat, I just finished that about a month ago. And for 20 days, there's no talking, no reading, no writing, no eye contact with other meditators. I'm I'm living in a meditation center. Um and it is deeply, it is deeply personal. It's 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 hard. <laughs> it's not, it's not like a vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have nowhere to go, as you know, Justin, there's, there's nowhere to really run to. Um, and you know, you have to kind of, kind of, you have a mirror that's just the mirror of your own consciousness that you are looking into. Uh, and for me, it was 20 days. I've been building up to this 20 day sit for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done seven or eight, 10 day silent meditation retreats. And I finally was accepted into a longer 20 day program. Um, And if anything, you know, it really cultivates compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, I leave these retreats with just this boundless love and compassion for all beings. And this really deep hope and desire that all beings feel freedom from their suffering and their misery and their pain. And there's a deep joy that's cultivated through silent meditation. 
it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty ironic to give you all a visual. Like imagine you woke up every day and think about one of the closets that are in your bedroom, you know, five feet by three feet. And imagine you walk into that closet and you close the door behind you and you sit inside of that closet for 10 to 11 hours a day. Uh, that's basically what I did for 20 straight days. I sat in a closet for 10, 11 hours a day. And, and it's so ironic that an experience like that of such confinement can create such freedom, right? Like when I left the retreat and the meditation center, I felt so liberated and so free from some of my own mental habit patterns. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it is ironic that it takes, you know, for me, it took putting myself in this small room every day to really deconstruct the mind, to let the mind disintegrate and dissolve and to figure out where the mind is stuck and then to unstick it, (laughs) if you will, that, that, that process is liberating. Um, and so there's like discipline that's required sometimes to discover freedom. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think it was in, uh, correct me if I got this wrong. I think it was in September, 2019, you had a major bike accident, right. And it left you quite immobilized for a period of time. So it, tell us what happened and, and how did that, uh, how did it change you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did. Um, I had a bike accident in 2019 where I suffered a break of my intertrochanter, which is my hip, uh, in layman's terms, I broke my right hip, (laughs) which is the center of gravity and pretty much of movement. My right leg was immobilized for months. Uh, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I mean, I was laying in bed and, you know, had to teach myself how to walk again slowly through through the, the coming coming year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm an embodied individual, as you know, Justin. I'm a practitioner of movement. I'm a yoga teacher, but I'm also like a martial artist and kung fu practitioner. So I I really process a lot through my body. And so it was very humbling to to be immobilized and to feel so much pain. Like, I, you know, my hip is, is half titanium now. I got a titanium rod running down my right leg. And like the amount of pain I was in was beyond what I thought was even humanly possible to experience. Um, I also was, you know, needing opioids uh, and Oxycontin to, to help me with the pain and manage the pain for, for a couple of months. And that was really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had to use an opioid like that before for pain. And I, I understand now why we have a national health crisis. Um, Cause as I was weaning myself off of them, I felt my body, I observed my <laughs> cravings. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is really strong stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's really, yeah, it's really, really something to look at. So, I mean, for me, Justin, you know, the bike accident was, was really humbling. And it also opened my eyes to the able-bodied privilege that I've walked around with my whole life. You know, I spent a couple of months when I finally got back on my feet. I was on a walker, you know, with the four wheels and 
kind of holding the walker and, and moving around. And then I, um, and then I was on a cane moving really slow. I'm always looking for like the accessibility entrances. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really like, I never look at someone in a wheelchair the same again. Mm -hmm. And it really helped to put into perspective the privilege I've had my whole life of, of, of being so physically active. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's intense. Um, and it was almost like uh, you, you went into a lockdown before the rest of society went into a lockdown right before everyone else went into lockdown for, for COVID. Um, uh, and, and so then also finally, um, uh, you, you, you know, you've written a number of books. You've always been a prolific writer. Um, what, what, are you writing any new books or any new projects? Tell us about that. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm, I've been putting uh, the finishing touches on the first draft of my new book. It's called The Soul of a Crisis, and it's prose and poetry reflecting on 2020. But I started in 2019 when I had my bike accident and just kind of like really, really unraveling and peeling back layers of, of crisis. And how do we move through crisis? How do we manage our health and our emotions and our relationships in crisis. Uh, the book reflects on racism and spiritual bypassing. It reflects on philanthropy and, uh, you know, wealth disparity and poverty. It, it reflects on wildfires and climate change. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 a uh, it's sort of a rhythmic ceremonial dance through through the layers of 2020 and, and and 2021 and i have a first draft that i'm finishing right now if somebody's listening and you're a publisher you, you know you're i'm actually shopping it around right now to publishers and, and trying to trying to um get some feedback on, on my manuscript uh for it i'd love to hear a passage from from uh, your manuscript i'll read i'll read a couple of pages of this it's called uh it's called this this chapter is called choking I've been choking on my words and tears for days, trying to keep it all in and together. I've been struggling with the words. I watched the murder multiple times, late at night, as you. I ingested interviews, news clips, and commentary, welled up with pain in my chest. For weeks, sleep would not arrive. Nightmares, common. I was triggered by gunshots, bikers, and masks. I was triggered when somebody instructed me during a meditation session to hold my breath. They said I should breathe in the pain of the world to transmute it into whatever is the opposite of pain. What is the opposite of pain? I didn't know. But what I did know was that I had no more room for any more pain to go. I had no more breath to give. So it all just exploded inside of my aching chest. It was like cascading dominoes. I was triggered every time I saw a police officer. I was triggered by colleagues and roommates. I was triggered by dogs running off their leashes. I was triggered by words that normally would just roll off my tongue. What is the virus? What is the crisis? What is the trigger? We put on masks to prevent infection and disease. We wear masks to prevent ourselves from breathing in or breathing out dangerous particles. Fires are raging across the lands. We wear masks 
because blowing in the wind is the inexhaustible ash of bodies in the cremation grounds. The Amazon and the California wilderness are both burning. I wonder if they know each other's story. We wear masks to keep the ash from disintegrating redwoods, pines, firs, and eucalyptus trees from entering our lungs, thick smoke and smog. The skyline is lost. Birds' nests have become kindling for the flames. Ants are running as fast as they can from hot embers and coals. We wear masks because we can no longer see the sun. Masks now have multiple purposes. Wildfires should unite us. But instead, there's argument over whether we have adequately prepared for the horrors that are looming and incinerating land. Tell the hurricane that climate change is not really happening, and its eyes will gaze back at you with a blank stare. It is not calculated, and it is not fury. This hurricane does not need glasses to see where it is going. It just goes without a map or care of street signs, bridges, or any traffic that might be in the way. And then it keeps going. That was great, man. Thank you. I, I, lo I love that. Uh, what, is the, what is the opposite of pain? That, that was a great line. Um, thanks. Well, thanks so much. So people can uh, um, pay attention to your website, hawa.us, right? To, uh, to yep. find out when that's coming out and your other work. Um, well, Hawa, th thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you, you coming on the show and, and telling us about your work at One Common Unity. Um, and, you know, I just want to say also that, that uh, you know, you've always been an uh, inspiration to me personally since uh, we first met. And, um, you know, the time we've spent in D.C. and, and meditating and on retreats, uh, it's always been very meaningful. So I just uh, thank you for that. I appreciate you, Justin. And uh, I'm glad we're in touch after 17 years. And I'm looking forward to staying in touch for, for the rest of it. Absolutely. And Keep doing what you're doing. Keep shining. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you all for tuning in. If you need recommendations for Goodreads, check out Ethel Rosenberg, An American Tragedy by Anne Seba. This new book revisits the old story of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, who were put to death by the electric chair in 1953 for passing secrets in the mid-40s about the development of the atomic bomb from the U.S. to the Soviet Union, who was ostensibly, at the time of their alleged actions, an ally in World War II. The book takes a closer look at Ethel, who really had no evidence against her that she participated in her husband Julius's espionage. The prosecution, the U.S. government, led in part by Roy Cohn of McCarthyism fame, who later counseled a young Donald Trump, tried to use charges against Ethel as leverage against Julius, but neither of them broke. They called the government's bluff. Instead, Ethel's own brother, David Greenglass, and his wife, Ruth, the ones who actually stole the secrets, concocted false stories about Ethel's involvement as a way to avoid responsibility for themselves, with coaching from Roy Cohn. Ethel, who was a mother to two young boys, remains the only woman put to death in this country for a crime other than murder. Her crime, for which she lost her life at the age of 37, was being married to someone who believed that if the United States should have the power of the atomic bomb, it shouldn't be the only one at a time when communist hysteria reached a fever pitch in this country. Also check out This Is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan. 
the book takes a deep dive into three plant drugs, opium, caffeine, and mescaline. Pollen experimented with all three drugs, wrote about his experiences, and looked at them through historical, scientific, philosophical, literary, and personal lenses. Ultimately, the book asks its readers to reconsider the whole notion of what a drug even is. It's an important conversation now that the end of the failed and disastrous war on drugs is in sight. Pollen spoke at a Vroman's bookstore event recently, and I wrote an article about it in Pasadena Now. So check that out if you're interested in learning more. Also check out Zero Fail, The Rise and Fall of the Secret Service by Carol Lenig. This Washington Post reporter takes a deep dive into the federal agency tasked with protecting the president and documents all the ways it fails that mission. Some anecdotes in the book, such as fence jumpers who somehow make it all the way to, and in one case inside the White House while armed, are just stunning. Plus a historical look at the agency from when it was formed after the Civil War to investigate financial crimes for the Treasury Department, to Congress and the American people's resistance to strengthening the service even after multiple assassination attempts and successes on U.S. presidents, to its recent fuck-ups from the Clinton era to the Biden era. Okay, before we go, let's check in with our senior toddler correspondent, Sienna. Thank you for that report, Sienna. That's it for this episode. Thanks for watching. Stay tuned for new episodes of Well Read once a month. You can find this show on YouTube and the Pasadena Media TV channels and streaming apps. I'm Justin Chapman, signing off. Learn more about my work at justindouglaschapman.com and sign up to receive my email newsletter to get updates on what I'm working on at justinchapman.substack.com slash subscribe. And remember, a life well read is a life well spent. So go read a book. Till next time.